Welcome back to the Hot Mess to Awesomeness podcast, a show all about inspiring smart, busy women to put their happiness at the top of their to-do list. Join your host and life coach, Dion Thompson, as she chats with amazing women who have figured out how to make their happiness a priority, and more importantly, what it's really like to go from hot mess to awesomeness. And now, on with the show. Welcome everyone to the Hot Mess to Awesomeness podcast. I am your host and life coach, Dion Thompson, and I am absolutely elated to have my guest, uh, Helen, with me today. Uh, when we met, we were introduced by a mutual friend. And um, so it was my friend, Jenny Hall, and she reached out and said, I really think you're going to need to, you're going to want to talk to this woman. Um I think she's really fantastic. And I think she, you know, you guys have really hit it off. I'm like, cool. I I like meeting interesting and new people. And then of course I do what I always do. And I went out out onto the interweb and I creeped her a little bit and um, said, okay, well, what, what's so cool about this woman? And I was smitten. So I was very excited when we hopped on a call and um, for our very short get to know you chat, which of course turned into a couple of hours of like deep dive into the philosophies of academia and all kinds of very fun and exciting things. <sighs> so um, as I, I, I have a, I'm so grateful for all my beautiful guests, but I'm a little extra excited uh, to be chatting with Helen today. So welcome, my friend. Thank you, Dion. And I'm, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm just going to introduce you to my audience. So Helen is a P is, has a PhD as a facilitator of wellness, human relations, and transformation for over 20 years. Dr. Helen Z has conducted workshops focused on interpersonal strength, helping individuals achieve the emotional balance essential to physical wellness. Yes, please. Uh, in addition to the many <laughs> workshops, uh, she also facilitates healing circles and one-on-one -on -one coaching intervention sessions. She's a full-time college professor experienced in wellness, psychology, personal development, ethics, business communications, and social justice. Um, right up my alley in, in so many levels. Um, many of the listeners may recall that I sort of spent many years in the academic world and, um, you know, you change gears and you move and you change professions, but I've always been absolutely captivated by the, the work of, of research and um, sort of that cutting edge space of education and where people are thriving to expand on uh, the, the knowledge of generations before and really take things to a whole other level. So I'm so very grateful to have you here to share a little bit of that perspective um, in regards to your own personal transformation, which I'm eager to hear more about, and how you are weaving that in, in the work that you do, whether it's with clients or with students, because I think that that's a really, um, you know, and not to sound trite, but more important than ever, uh, it's, it seems that um, that awakening, that enlightenment of the younger generation, um, it, to be honest, all generations, uh, is, is really crucial uh, right now. So I'm very, 
I'm very interested in hearing a little bit more about what prompted you to, you were working in academia, you were, I, if I recall from when we chatted before, you were on a pretty sort of distinctive path. Was it, it organizational development, if I, <laughs> if I remember, which is important, but doesn't have a lot of like the woo-woo flair that um, you're sort of sharing now with the world. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what prompted that shift for you and, and what led you to the, to the path that you're on now. Mm -hmm. I was actually very surprised with the shift because uh, I, first of all, hadn't thought about doing a PhD. Instead, I went, as a couple of my colleagues uh, pointed out, I went the lazy route of doing two master's degrees. Right. One. (laughs) (laughs) There's some people out there going, what? Two? Okay. Lazy? Not? Okay. Well, it was because in in neither of them did I do a dissertation. In neither of them Mm -hmm. did I do a thesis. Um, The first was education. So an MED. And the second was a combined uh, Master's of Arts in Management and Human Resources, didn't do a dissertation, just wrote a a capstone paper for both. And uh, like I said, had no intention of doing a PhD, but I was kind of dared into it in that uh, two of my colleagues, one who had a PhD and one who was nearing completion of her PhD, were talking out loud to each other so that I could hear. And they said, well, the only reason that she has the second master's is really just because she's afraid to do the PhD. Mm. Exactly. My reaction was, (laughs) who told them to say that? Um, and, And I was working in academia as a, at the time, as a director of a graduate center, an American University Graduate Center. So then I decided, well, you know, okay, what the heck, I'll go ahead and I'll do the PhD. Um, And long story short, got into OISE, um, which is part of U of T. And my focus was going to be a blend of the two masters. It was going to be organization development and how we learn how we, how we deal with change in organizations depending on our learning style. And then uh-huh, I became uh, afflicted, for want of a better way of putting it, by fibromyalgia yet again. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was right at the beginning of the semester. And I was not able to write properly. I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't raise my right leg. It was really freaky. And I decided that, you know, living in a city like Toronto and having to use at the time uh, public transit, it wouldn't be a good idea to be dashing to go to class. So I, uh, at, at the early stage in the second, second week, thank goodness, had made friends with a couple of my classmates in some classes. And they agreed that since I was not going to be coming to school, that they would take notes and they would share. Which, I, which I'm forever grateful for. So I, in staying home uh, for a couple of weeks, I decided that I needed to do some research on this thing called fibromyalgia and, and also looking at the fact that anytime I went to a male doctor, and I, I should preface that by saying the first person who diagnosed it um, initially was a male doctor. He called it fibrositis. That's what it used mm. to be called. 
but when I went to a male doctor more recently, um, when I say that, I'm talking like the 90s, um, they boohooed it and told me, 90s, no, 2000, uh, they boohooed it and said, it's just all in your mind. It's just all in your head. There's nothing to it, right? Mm. So being home for those uh, two and a half weeks or whatever, I got to the computer and I began looking for information I could find on fibromyalgia. And I discovered that it was something that because it tended to uh, be more of an issue with women, it seemed as though it was overlooked by, at the time, by uh, research and, and so forth. Um, there was little done at that point. That doesn't mean that it's, it's still like that today. And the more I looked at it, the more I began to think, well, maybe it's about, you know, health challenges that women have that becomes an issue. Uh, maybe it's um, that, you know, like women's, women's issues around um, women's wellness issues. Mm -hmm. And as I continued to research, I began to ask myself, well, why? This was not my first time with it. So why, 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 do, why do I have it again? And why did I get it right at the beginning of the semester that I was so looking forward to uh, moving away from full-time employment to being a full-time doctoral student? And the more I started asking myself that question, the more I started to uh, reflect and to journal. And one of the things that came to me was maybe it was something that I had miraculously embodied. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was something, yeah, you know, maybe it was something that was in me. So, so then I began to think, but then why? So I'm asking myself all of these questions. And as I asked myself the why, I then thought, well, maybe it was something that was embodied from, and I'm not blaming my mother, Maybe it was something that was embodied from my mother. Maybe it was something about her and the way she treated me, not negatively, but maybe there was something I picked up that led me to have fibromyalgia yet again. And, and that led me down the road of moving away from my original uh, focus of organization development and learning styles to looking at this notion of something that was embedded in me from my mother. And then I started looking at, uh, well, maybe it's an intergenerational thing. So I started there and, and as I kept digging and digging and doing my, my coursework, I started looking at uh, not so much what's in us genetically, but I started looking at what's the energy that we embed from our mothers. And, and, and considering the fact that our mother's womb is actually our first home. So what was that first home like? And, and how did, what did we absorb from that first home? And that took me down the road of intergenerational spirit injury. That, I mean, that speaks to me on so many levels. You're ringing all my learning geek bells and personally, um, and having 
so many questions about what I may have embodied from my mother who's from her mother and um, it's such a, a intriguing fascinating powerful holy crap topic um, that I'm very glad to hear you are you have sh- beginning to, to shed some light in that area um, so what started I mean those are it was like the first hot minute of your PhD program. Like, let's just switch gears and go that way. Um, <laughs> so no longer taking the, I'm air quoting here, the lazy route of just, you know, those master's degrees and let's see if I can smash them together and make a PhD out of it. Um, <laughs> like shuffling a deck. There it is. Um, what, what was it? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't just one defining moment, but can you describe a little bit about what that felt like to start to make that, maybe it was discovery or uncovering of uh, this knowledge, this awareness. And um, as a good academic, you asked all the curious questions, why, how, when, what, where, who can I bring in to (laughs) talk to about this? Um, But I'm curious on that path and because for many years, you know, uh, to be in, in academia in that way, you know, decades of a certain way of operating, a certain way things are done, research is handled and organizationally it all plays out. But here you were sort of exploring things in a whole new dynamic. Um, I'm curious about what that experience was like for you personally, that change in sort of, let's say mindset, but perhaps it was around, um, what the PhD is meant to to be and or look like? I think there was a part of me that was a little bit gratified um, in, in coming up with this because I, I, I one of my very good friends who has her PhD, uh, she had her PhD. In fact, she was one of the two who was busy talking about my, my being lazy about going the other route. Um, she actually did something that was, unique and there was that part of me that believed that as I was doing my doctorate that's what I also needed to do that I needed to find something that was unique that I needed to uh, put together some kind of a program some kind of initiative that had not been looked at or to look at something differently and so finding that kind of put me at ease because I felt aha, I did find something that was different. I did find something that that goes off in a slightly different direction. So it gratified me that I was able to come up with that. I didn't come up with the, the notion in, like right off the bat. Um, I knew that I, I wanted to look at uh, something that was embedded in me, but I, I hadn't really... I was thinking intergenerational, but I hadn't moved beyond that. It wasn't until I completed some of my coursework and put together the proposal for my dissertation and what and met with my committee that it really it was born, so to speak. Uh, in that, when I met with my committee, uh, my intention was to look at intergenerational trauma. That was my, my, my thing, you know? And thank goodness, 
one of the members of my committee, who fortunately is now deceased, spoke up and said, I will be on your committee as long as you don't use the word trauma. She said she didn't want me to, she would be on my committee if I did not use trauma. And there was this silent dialogue, silent conversation going on. Like, what you're talking about? That's what I want to do. <laughs> but I so wanted her on my committee because she had done work around survivors of trauma. Hmm. And, and I did a course with her and so on. And I wanted her on my committee. So the four of us, the three committee members, plus myself, we sat and talked, but what else can we call it? If we take out trauma, what else can we say? So one person said, well, maybe we can say it's something to do with the spirit. So maybe it's spirit murder. And I said, no, we're not dying. It's not death. Hmm. And, 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 and little by little, going back and forth, we came up with the notion of spirit injury, hmm. because that's what it is. And of course, we can heal from an injury. Yes. So, yeah. And so as you were saying that, so that image of, um, I'm not going to get this correct, but I, the, the idea is here um, that the, you know, the cracked bowl and the, that's how the light gets in. And then as it heals, it becomes more beautiful and more defined and more refined and all of those pieces. So, you know, I thinking about um, how we grow, um, you know, physiologically, your muscles have to rip in order to get bigger, right? Like you're, um, that, that's part of the process that the healing is what strengthens you. And, um, so I'm curious as to what, what did you start to, um, you know, without, I have, have not read your dissertation, although I would like to, um, what did you start to uncover and, and what process did you use to do that? Cause I found as a lover of narrative work and of using those qualitative measures in a, in a spirit guided sort of holistic way. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear sort of what you did and what you were able to peel away and, and, and uncover from your work and, and more importantly, how that impacted you personally. Okay. Well, when I was writing it, I, I was advised by my supervisor. Uh, I still call her my supervisor. Uh, many, many decades later, uh, I was advised by her to narrow my focus because I was looking at women. So she said, you want to narrow it. Um, so I said, okay. Um, I met her. She's a, a woman from, from the continent, from Kenya. And I met her um, as the professor teaching me uh, black feminism. Mm -hmm. um, and she didn't only have uh, black women in the class, she had men, she had, uh, she had indigenous women. She had a broad spectrum of people in that class. Mm -hmm. And so she said to me that, that day that we were having the meeting, she said, you want to narrow your focus. I think you're, you're, you're being very broad when you talk about women. So how can you narrow it? And I kind of, I'm, you know, looking around like, I don't know. So, <laughs> so then I said, well, okay, what if I just focus on women of, of, the, of the African diaspora? She said, yeah, at least you're narrowing it. And there might be something 
that you can bring in that may help you to, you know, to, to tweak it and to fine tune your work. And so I, I began to kind of look at things that I didn't know anything about, like African cosmology. And one of the things that I came up with that I, I talk about often, and I don't often, I don't only speak to it when I'm talking to women who look like me from the, from the African diaspora, African ancestry. I just use it, period. And that's the concept of Sankofa. And Sankofa is a mythical bird from, uh, I think from Ghana. Um, it's one of the many um, aspects of cosmology from, from Ghana. And Sankofa is a bird that is moving forward, but looking back. And to me, that's so critical. In our journey, don't we need to be mindful of what has gone before us? Mm -hmm. So it seemed to fit with this notion of me looking at my ancestors, looking at my mother. What did they do before that made me the me that I am? And the other thing about uh, Sankofa is that Sankofa also has a golden egg. So like that golden egg it, to me speaks about rebirth mm. and so forth. So, so all of that began to kind of resonate with me. And uh, when I did my coursework, when I actually did my focus groups, my, my mother was an artist and she dabbled in everything from watercolor to uh, acrylics, to oils, to she, um, she would even do paper mache, but not in a simplistic way. She actually uh, had two things in her home that was driftwood that she she paper mache if that's such a word <laughs> a, a, a blue jay and a robin that were perched on one perched on one piece of driftwood and one or the other I don't have them my brother has them I wish I did she also did some painting on glass I mean she she had quite the flair and I won't say that it bypassed me because she was thrilled that in high school when I, when I finished my, uh, then I'm from Bermuda originally, and when I finished my uh, GCE, General Certificate in Education, I got the highest mark for art. Go figure, right? Not having done it all of the years in high school, but I needed a course to make up because I wasn't doing well in math. <laughs> so I did art and ended up getting um, the top mark for art. So she was thrilled to this. And I kind of squished it. I'm still trying to figure out why I squished that part of me. Mm. But it did surface when I put together my focus groups. I invited the participants to just bring a piece of fabric that resonated with them, that connected with them. Don't ask me why. That was what I asked them to do. <laughs> and so, uh, and I, and when, when we met each, each group, I told them that what I'd like you to do is to create a quilt. That's what I told the first group. And I said, you know, it's your quilt. So, you know, you're creating it together and whatever happens, happens. So, uh, you know, I said, and as you're creating it, uh, we can begin to talk about your own instances of spirit injury, any memories, any recollection that you have of something that happened in your past as you were growing up that uh, that 
you know, has affected you that you think about. So that was the, the first group. The second and the third groups picked up the quilt and just added to it. And to me, that was a kind of um, a metaphor for what I did, which was the stitching together of their stories, a weaving together of their stories. In fact, I, I won um, a recognition for a presentation that I made to a conference when I, when I was a doctoral student that I called Tapestry, a, a play on tape history, uh, Tapestry of um, Spirit Injury or something like that. And, and, and they liked the, the approach. And uh, like I said, I, I got some award for having done that. Uh, but my intent as I was doing all of this was to listen to their stories and try to find ways to weave all of this together. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. <laughs> I, you know, I feel enlightened and I'm fascinated and I'm, um, it brings up for me some questions about um, story and the power of story. I'm a longtime believer of um, the beautiful impact of story. And of course, it's a, you know, thousands and thousands of years of, of um, narrative work that has led us to this space. And um, I really feel a resurgence, um, possibly because due to the digital landscape we find ourselves in, but there is a, when people, and it, it may be women, it may be men and women, it doesn't matter, but when people come together for that sole purpose of sharing and listening and being seen and, and, and truly sort of experiencing um, the unifying power of personal narrative, um, I'm, I'm not surprised that um, there was a week, like the that what was created by these small groups of people um, led to some, to a quilt, but it led to some, some real opening in, in that understanding to an award, but more importantly, sort of the, um, the power of that process. So I'm curious, um, your thoughts on the power of narrative connection and being in circle as you now are as well as leading circles and and doing that as well um what what impact do you feel um story has had on you personally and of course have, i'm sure you've seen the power um but i really would just basically want everybody who's listening to be like get your butt into a circle and really experience that so um, i'd love to hear your thoughts on the power of narrative circles so much. In fact, I, I currently I'm currently teaching two different research courses, uh, research foundation courses, and in in one of the courses, I was talking, which was on Monday, I was talking to the students about the narrative, mm. and uh, and I was sharing with them that you know using that as a way of research is is an interesting approach. It's a good way to go. And, and I asked them, it was only, I think half the class was there. <laughs> I asked them to give me uh, their feeling about story and how uh, that's a, an excellent tool for research. And, and, and they 
a couple of them came up with a few little kernels that, you know, in, in listening to people's stories, they're not only just getting, you know, check marks on a questionnaire, but they're also getting to kind of go a little bit more in depth in terms of how that person is, is feeling, what are their emotions. And that when one person listens to um, another in the circle, it then prompts them to say more. And I thought, well, I think you got it. Can I leave now? <laughs> Ace for everybody. It's great. No? <laughs> but um, it, it's true. I think I see it in so many settings, like even in the healing circles that I conduct once a month. Um, I, I won't say conduct. I just facilitate them. I just sit and listen. And and the one that I had Saturday gone, um, it, it it went a little bit beyond time. And I kept saying to them, I think, you know, we we were supposed to finish at 1230 and and and, you know, they were still talking. So I said, I think I need to end this because <laughs> like, stop, stop. <laughs> but I think um, what happened there was that they they were kind of energized by uh, by each other's stories. And that's the same thing. If I go back to my research, it's the same thing that happened in the focus groups. Because mm -hmm. as they were working, and the quilt was was a quilt like none other. I mean, not that it was anything fantastic. It wasn't. It was not what I envisioned. It was. It was nothing that I ever ever thought would be produced. It was just so <laughs> different, like weird. But anyway, um, the I think apart from the fact that it was not what I expected, and I don't classify it as a quilt, uh, but I think. Uh, what came out of it was the quilting of the stories, mm -hmm. hence calling it a, 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 a tape, a tapestry, a tapestry, tapestry, because it was the stories that was that was the quilt, not the actual quilt itself. Mm -hmm. It was how they would, you know, they're sitting there. In fact, one person didn't want to sew; she was gluing. <laughs> they're sitting, they're sitting there, attaching their fabric, and they're talking about. You know, uh, like one woman uh, had a piece of fabric from, uh, it was her grandmother's scarf and it was a long scarf and she just cut a piece of it and brought it in. And so she was saying that uh, her grandmother's scarf to her was important because it spoke about her grandmother's trauma, spirit injury. Uh, having married at a young age and having had two daughters. And I think her, her mother was the third daughter and her father, her grandfather. Yeah, I'm talking her mother. Well, whatever. Yeah, her mother's husband. Yeah, I got it right. Her mother's husband uh, would punish her at night while she was pregnant with the third child because he didn't want another daughter. So he figured if he punished her, duh, he'd have a son. So, you know, go in there and do this, that, and the other. And, and, and she said that, you know, some of what he did was horrific to her mother. And she's crying as she's telling this story. And, and in, in her sharing her story, it was how the others in the circle picked up on her story and began to talk about, 
you know, the the, the fact that <clears throat> women in in many settings, even today, are so undervalued, and and how uh, much of what we go through is not seen as something that um, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. Um, just that sometimes we're kind of punished, and mm. and and uh, and despite being in that realm, feeling as though we have to do everything because we are mother, wife, sister. And I still see that today with the clients that I deal with because, and I'm, I'm not really answering your question, but I think I've gone on, on another tangent. When I deal with the clients that I have, a lot of them experience stress and they're own overwhelm because they're busy focusing on the family, they're busy focusing on their mother if they're in the sandwich generation, they're busy focusing on work, they're busy doing all of that and oftentimes not taking care of self. Yeah. And oftentimes having a whole heap of health challenges because of that. Mm -hmm. I think in my experience personally and um, in my community, um, speaking about story, you know, we can get very committed to the stories we tell ourselves about who we are. And much of our story comes from what we are told we are. And that can come direct, or it can come through that generational experience, right? Just being in the womb in that experience, you know, becomes part of your own personal narrative. And then that is because your mother's conscious memory of that is imprinted on you. And I mean, it can go in, it deeper and deeper. And I think what can be really powerful because we only know our own story, right? And we live it so deeply, so unconsciously that we begin to believe that it, that is all there is. And for many who feel very stuck in the sort of that pattern or that, uh, that, that particular narrative, um, you know, no one can tell you different. So what is absolutely magical about connecting, whether it be in circle or just being able to be present for someone sharing of themselves, they are in no way saying you should do X, Y, and Z because of you. It is just, this was my experience and this is who I am and this is how I see the world. And although it is unique, it is unbelievably unifying because there is a thread between all of us. And so in that moment, all of a sudden you go, what story have I been telling about mm -hmm. me when I see similarities could be a completely different scenario, but I see similarities in her story that y'all sudden shines a light in my story, a whole new way, like exactly. mind blowing experience. And I mean, I have sat in on them some circles with a, a significant variety of folk and yet walked out of that circle feeling like fully embraced sisters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a couple hours. Yeah. And simply because we feel seen and heard inside someone else's story. And so whether you are participating, whether you are vocalizing, just being present instantly impacts your current narrative path. Mm -hmm. You can't, can't un-experience it. 
right? And, and however you heard it, you can't unhear that. Like it, and you may layer in new perspectives, but you will forever not be the woman you were before you walked into that space. That's true. Yeah. Oh, and I'm so grateful that, um, you know, I know that in small corners of every area of the world, there are women gathering doing this work, but for you to be highlighting it in a whole other realm, in a, um, in a space that perhaps doesn't always shine light on this absolutely powerful, I want to even say sort of majestic experience that many women are having. And as you had said before, we, we have up until this very minute, um, women consistently feeling less than like sort of that, that lower experience, almost punished and we have to try three times as hard just to be equal. Um, so I'm just so grateful that you, and it wasn't like you did this work yesterday, that you have been planting this seed and then you've been continuously sharing it with the world. It is so needed. It has been so needed for a very long time. And now, of course, more than ever is the thing to say, but yes, uh, now and tomorrow and the next day, mm -hmm. continuing to shine this light um, on the, the power of, um, number one, being aware of that spirit injury, and then um, the you know ways that women can do that work to heal. And it doesn't, it's not an external heal, healing. It's not something someone gives to you. Um, and so that we all have the power within us in this moment to achieve it. So mm -hmm. just, oh, I'm all goosebumpy over here, Helen. Oh, goody, goody. <laughs> that 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 whole notion of of story is is such a big thing, and um, I I had came up with a couple of metaphors, uh, not just the quilt, which in in and of itself was a was is a metaphor. Uh, when I defended my dissertation, I spoke about uh, what I did where the quilt was, the, the notion of the quilt was like the method that I used. Um, I couldn't call it arts informed. It was arts based because, because I used the quilt. Um, but there was something that you just said that resonated. Oh yeah, so I, I had a couple of metaphors uh, that developed because of a, of, of a class that I was in. And here's the first one. When you talked about the cracked bowl, mm. I thought of a metaphor that was developed in one of the classes that I that I took early earlier on, and it was the strangest thing. But I'll share it with you. It was the metaphor of a, of a rosebud that was not out in the open. Like, like I said, really strange. This this rosebud was uh, in the in the earth. It was in the soil. It was deep in the soil, but somehow, magically, this road this rosebud um, began to there, there began to be a, a little bit of of light streaming through this crack in the sidewalk, and this road this rosebud getting tongue tied. This rosebud started growing toward the crack, growing toward the light. And as it grew toward the light, it began to, to make its way up and out of the crack and onto the surface. 
and I and I'm saying to myself, well, that's impossible because <laughs> but but I don't know what it was supposed to be, but it was something that just came to me. And um I talked about it in the class and they kind of liked it and I thought you all are crazy. <laughs> but anyway. It's, it and it makes sense to me, you know, we are each buried in a way and there are layers mm -hmm. upon layers of concrete of thick impassable oh, pieces yes. right and yet there we find a way and it it does just take a crack so my um my visual for my pre-healed self was small being trapped in a cinder block room and it it was the crack that made the difference. It wasn't necessarily the walls falling in my true healing and all, 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 that's all great stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful for all of that, but it was the crack that made the difference. And um, so in that, in your metaphor that you shared and you, you might be a little crazy, but I really like it um, is that we do find a way. And the thing about light um, when we are in darkness, we can feel it can be all encompassing, but light is always there and it 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 finds its way and we find it our way to it right so but you had another metaphor so what was what was the second if you recall okay the second was um something that became the first title of my or the first few words in my dissertation and and that is the resilient iris and it's 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 a metaphor, but yet not exactly. I think there, there's an element of truth in it. <clears throat> and uh, this had to do with a true story. Uh, actually, it, the person, I didn't know about her when I was in school. So that'll tell you about the information that was shared. But I learned about it uh, from my husband. It was his ancestor who um, at the time was... She might have been a freed slave, um, but I think that um, the way that the story goes, not from him, but from what he's been told by many people, um, I think the slave master may have done something to her daughter. And maybe it was rape, I don't know. Um, but it enraged her to the extent that she poisoned the slave master and apparently also his wife. Uh, don't know if they died, they may have, I don't know. But she was punished and her punishment was that she was going to be tied to a stake, that she was not going to be, that she was tied to a stake and she was burned, literally. And a few weeks, I mean, it's a horrific way to die, right? And a few, a few, a short while, I'm gonna say a few weeks, a short while after her death, some other slaves were sent to clean up the site. So as they were cleaning up the site, in the midst of the ashes was an iris. And to me, that became another bit of a metaphor in, in that. And I, and I see us as women in, in, this, in this way. I see women as resilient, as, as like that iris that you find on the scorched earth, whatever that scorched earth looks like, right? It can be domestic violence, it can be partner abuse, it can be whatever shows up that becomes that scorched earth 
that um, us as women are like that iris, just kind of there. And 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 the other thing that I, I like about the iris, having looked at it a bit more, is that the iris is a flower that if you pull it up in one spot, it's going to grow up somewhere else. So I see that as the strength of woman, strength of womankind that says we can be suppressed. You can try to keep us down, mm-hmm. but by golly, we'll show up somewhere else. Yeah, through the ashes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh that was beautiful thanks and my brain if anybody could see in here it is bouncing (laughs) and bing 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 bing. ah and you know when you said resilient iris right at the beginning of course my brain goes okay iris and went through all the the idioms of what iris is and so i also thought of the eye and i thought of you know how we perceive the world but of course how it's the the looking out and the looking in and that narrative work in and of itself when you do any type of narrative inquiry if you're going that sort of academic route but it is about the now the looking back the looking out the looking in and then coming back to now and then really sort of <laughs> rinse repeat but that's how we grow through story mm-hmm. anyway so i'm just grateful for for that as well so that bounced around in there and then that that brilliant Mm -hmm. um sort of retelling of this this woman um we'll call her iris today uh Mm -hmm. her her actual name is sarah 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 Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but iris works (laughs) beautiful thank you oh Helen. well thank you i i appreciate how you're taking this and you're making it sound so you're embellishing it in such a way that is so comforting for me. <laughs> it's like, wow. You. Well, you know, um, I think there's n- nothing more invigorating and pleasurable for me than a meeting of the minds and to be able to explore story together. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful for you and for this opportunity. And I feel like we have, and you had mentioned earlier, you know, you went on a tangent. Oh, I love me a good tangent. I mean, that's kind of where the, <laughs> where the good stuff is. Um, so I'm grateful for every path that our conversation took today. Thank you. Um, now I'm, I, for the listeners and, um, or anybody who's watching us on, on, on YouTube, is there anything you want to share about, I mean, obviously you have your, your professional work as a, as a professor, so people can definitely find you come take some classes. Um, but in your sort of coaching world, is there any way that they can connect with you? And I mean, I'll have all the links there, but yeah. Uh, Yes, there is. I I have a coaching package and I also have an online school, but I think the coaching is probably uh, where there's there's more where the rubber meets the road, where Mm -hmm. where I can work with individuals or with groups of women. Um, And 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 I should say that my work actually has come to revolve around chakras. I I found my way to chakras, uh, which is about energy. And um, when I look at myself, my, my um, experience that I had um, with my fibromyalgia, that was essentially my root chakra, which is where you have a lot of, I mean, the root chakra is, 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 is associated with the adrenal glands, which is where stress is. Um, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, I also have uh, other issues of uh, what was an imbalanced root chakra. So I've worked on it. That's why I have my rid. Uh, I've worked on it and continue to work on it. 
but I also had an issue with my, my throat chakra. Um, that is something that occurs in our development between ages seven and 12. And I was one who often had throat issues, tonsillitis. I eventually developed a thyroid problem. So when I look at myself and look at those two areas and look at the health challenges that I had from the stress to the TMI, the <laughs> constipation, <laughs> and the, uh, you know, the, the thyroid problem, I can see the two different energy centers that affected me and my health. And it's because of that, that I like to work with women in identifying their energy center. And very often it does have an intergenerational piece because it would be something that would have occurred because of, because of your development. Mm -hmm. I like how you talk about the stories that we get from others that makes our story. And I think to, to a large extent, that energy that we embed is that story that we, that we tell ourselves that others told us that becomes that sort of imbalanced part of us mm -hmm. that then causes other health challenges. I'll tell one more um, story. And, and, and this is about a dear, dear friend who, who, who passed last month. Um, and she was sharing with me, she died. Um, she had a, a problem with her heart. And um, I, I don't want to kind of, you know, get into too much of what she told me, but I, I'll say that one of the things that she mentioned in being diagnosed with a thickened heart muscle, um, I don't think she kind of put it, like made the connection, but as she was sharing with me that she didn't realize how much she was loved by her friends who came to her support as she was in her her final months, um, how how we formed a like a a network, how, you know, uh, some in the network were praying for her and you know sending out positive thoughts and so on. Um, it was then that she said to me, "I didn't I didn't know how much I was loved." She said, "I always gave love to others, but I never." recognize the love that people had for me and I and I kind of blocked it and and that part of me that's into this whole notion of energy centers and so forth and I don't know how many other women also have similar kind of issue with the heart right um of feeling as though she I won't say that she didn't deserve it but that she didn't recognize that it was there mm -hmm. And that, and that she was busy giving it to others mm -hmm. when others were trying to give it to her. That is, I want and I'm sorry about your friend. And yeah, the, yeah. the, what you were able to sort of take from that, and I think is an unfortunate universal, is that in the process of being all the things, we do not know how to receive Mm -hmm. nor have we been taught because the generations before were not conditioned to or given permission depending on how you look at it to receive mm -hmm. and so that is a practice because we're not good at it so we got to practice um and it's something that we can lean into and and again through those circle experiences um 
be reminded of their power. Mm-hmm. So being able to receive love, joy, appreciation, um, I believe partly comes from our capacity to do it for ourselves and then opens up that door to be able to perceive it coming from others and then receive mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on here in this conversation. <laughs> we, we, that was some stuff there. Whew. I, I feel like I just want to sit down for the rest of the day and be inside my head and be in like, I, I, I feel like I, there's a lot to process. So if you are, Actually, been- that's a good thing to be inside. Yeah. Our, no, I'm serious. Um, I, I've been hearing people say that in the last few days of, um, you know, other settings that I've been in where, where people have been talking about just sitting quietly and listening to their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's something I need to do. I'm, I'm, I don't do that enough. It's, well, we're very conditioned to, what we're conditioned to receive is other people's sort of opinions and information. We're conditioned to seek that out in order to determine what we figure out, what we think we think, um, instead of just thinking about what we think and going from there and then putting it out, right? So practice, right? It's all about what we practice and what we choose to practice because what we practice, we get good at. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, may, I may practice some stillness this afternoon and just yes. with this. This is beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. So Helen, is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? Like I said, there was so much in here that I will be drawing from for a long time. Um, but is there anything you would like to share um, so that they can walk away with something I would say um, one of the key pieces is listening to our bodies because our, we can heal ourselves. We don't, I'm not, I'm not dissing doctors. I'm not saying we don't need doctors, but we can often heal ourselves. Uh, you may be familiar with Louise Hay, who's now deceased herself, but she talks about um, in many of her writing and, and writings and so forth, that we can actually heal ourselves. So I think she had, had a book called Heal Your Body, Heal Yourself. Uh, yep, hers. <laughs> you can heal your life for sure. Yes, yes, yes. So I apologize if you're just listening. I just pulled up the one book that's sitting beside me from Louise Hay, and it says, you can heal your life. So sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. It timing. is so true. It is so true. You can. And, and because of that, I think we just need to listen to our bodies, um, where, where, are, where are we feeling tension and pain in our bodies? And, and that is an indication that we have an imbalance in that part of our body. And, uh, you know, either looking for uh, someone who's into energy healing or someone who's able to dislodge that would be beneficial. Uh, sometimes even carrying certain stones are good because stones are helpful. I made sure that I, I had my ring on today, uh, two rings. Um, one is my turquoise, which is good to help me to talk. And I think I did a pretty good job with that. Today. I think so. I think so too. <laughs> and, and the other is my lapis lazuli, which is about communication and, 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 and that kind of thing. And um, I think they, they're both helpful. So it's 
tapping into um, nature and, and I guess to leave someone with something, I, I would want to focus on what I see as two key energy centers and, and things that one can do to strengthen those energy centers. One is the root and um, the root chakra, the root energy center. Um, as, as we all know, a, a tree is, is it's, it's gonna die if it doesn't have a good root system. Mm-hmm. And, and to strengthen that root system, what we can do is embrace ourselves in red. Um, that's why I always have on my red bracelet. <laughs> Um, embrace yourself in red and also weather permitting um, walk in the grass without shoes on Mm -hmm. and and of course right now as it's getting colder and I don't see many people would want to do that um, just just um, taking your shoes off in the house and just stumping because that sort of is saying like I'm here I'm planted I'm here I'm grounded right Um, and, and I think that that's a good thing to do to strengthen the root and also eating uh, foods that come from the earth and, and eating foods that are red and surrounding oneself in red sort of strengthens that part of us and grounds us. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's a sort of a simple way. There's stones and there are oils and affirmations and on and on, but that's a quickie, right? Um, Just the stomping and just, you know, surrounding yourself in red. The other thing is the heart. And and for the heart, to strengthen the heart. And because many of us are tight because of the stresses that we're going through, is to just breathe deeply beyond um, the stomach and, and, and feel your stomach kind of expanding as you're breathing. And as you let it go, just... an awe that kind of really almost you can feel the releasing of the heart so it kind of would kind of be like this ah it's so refreshing and so relaxing um and i think it really supports the heart Mm. and allows us to care for self and take in all that love yes I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And for those two um, energy centers that we can focus on and some small practices that, you know, you'll Mm -hmm. be doing right now. So brilliant. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Helen, for your time today and for sharing your wisdom. Oh, it's my pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was my pleasure to sit here with you because you tapped into so much. And, and now, now, now with the stories that we have shared, I can leave her being even more enlightened mm. stories. Oh, mm. that, that's so wonderful. Oh, thank you. And so thank you to all the listeners for tuning in and um, for joining us and, and absolutely uh, start stomping and breathing and doing all the things that you need to do to heal you. Um, and we will talk very, very soon. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Join Dion again next week to learn more about what you can do to go from hot mess to awesomeness.